1: Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2.5% of the most popular podcasts globally, and honestly, it's all because of my incredible guests who join me Monday and Friday. I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game, and they are here, and they are willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. Now, these are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with you the essence of peak performance. And my guest today, Rusty Gaylord, is the author of the best-selling book. It's on my desk, Breaking the Code, Stop Looking for Answers, and Start Enjoying Life. And he joins us today to share why achieving success requires shifting focus from what, which is your work product, to how, which is your relationships and your leadership, and why the hardest part for ambitious people is to bring their best self-relaxed, creative, fun, resourced to work when work is stressful and busy. Breaking the Code is designed to help you explore the most important technology upgrades of all, your inner tech. Now, Rusty is a former worldwide director of finance at Apple, and he followed a traditional corporate path to success from GE under Jack Welch, an MBA at Stanford, to 14 years at Apple. And he left the corporate world in 2019, which is not that long ago, when his external success no longer felt like personal success. And he now works as an executive coach for tech leaders who want more success without sacrifice. Pay attention to that, more success without sacrifice. We're going to be talking about that a lot. Rusty, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here.
0: Thank you, Denise. It's a real pleasure to be here with you.
1: Listen, I have your book. You mailed it to me. You wrote really nice notes. There's a little card in here that I really love. It says, it's a pleasure to meet you today during our pre-interview. And it goes on to say, I'm honored to have this on your bookshelf. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, in my office, I have hundreds of books. I have three bookshelves. Every single book in here, I am proud to say, came from people like you, Rusty. You've been my guest. And it's a great book, so let's get to talking.
0: That sounds great, Denise, and thank you for the compliment. And I just, I I love the image of you surrounded by hundreds of books that all come from guests on your show. You know, that's all wisdom that's there and available to you and to all of your listeners who've been listening for, hopefully, for a long time.
1: It's my entrepreneurial library. There's not a single book in here that didn't come from y'all. Not one. I won't allow it. I have bookcases all over my house. These bookcases are strictly from my entrepreneurial library. I'm fussy about it. (laughs) And I've read every single one of them. I mean, if you go to the trouble to send me your book, I'm honor-bound to read it, even if I didn't want to to start with, which never happens, by the way. And I get to pick up your wisdom from your books, from these podcasts, and from, you know, finding you online and reading you and and basically following you around, and in some cases lurking, (laughs) because I find my guests absolutely fascinating. So anyway, thank you so much. So we've got a a lot to talk about today. And, you know, we're talking about ambitious people, how hard we work. Listen, i finally figured out a long time ago that there's no such thing as work-life balance for people like me. And I think that's kind of what you're saying in your book.
0: I I agree with you. You know, the idea of work-life balance implies that there's a point at which you are balanced. And the, the truth about balance is, if you think about riding a bike, you're never totally balanced, right? You're a little bit this way, a little bit that way, and you're always adjusting and correcting. And I think that's really what work, you know, this idea of work-life balance is not a static position that you reach. It's really more of a dance. It's dynamic and it's evolving. And there's some times where you, you're putting more of your energy towards work. There's other times where you're putting more of your energy towards your personal life. And especially in the last couple of years, it's all overlapping and blending So, you know, uh, one of the ideas I talk about is get rid of the word balance because balance just doesn't really fit anymore to the way that we work and we operate in life. And it's really more about harmony. It's finding a place where the different parts of your life can work together in harmony. And when they work in harmony, not only is the conflict or dissonance gone, but there's actually some beauty in it, and it feels good. And so it's, it's about finding that place where, and it's unique to each person, and it's unique to each time that you're in where you feel like you have that right harmony of your work and your
1: life. I love the bike analogy. Even as a kid, I hated riding a bike because I always fell off of the darn thing. I'm sure there were lessons there. (laughs) I was just not the most graceful of kids. But for me, for the longest kind of time, when I would hear, oh, you know, you've got to make the distinction between work and life, how in the world are you supposed to do that? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. You can't separate them, and that's the way I always kind of took that. Yeah,
0: and I think that, like to some extent I agree with you, and to some extent I think that's a very a, kind of a dangerous way of thinking because a lot of people
1: Ooh, that I know
0: from the corporate world, yeah, people I've worked with, would take their computer with them on vacation. And they would be doing email when they're sitting, you know, their family's on the beach in Hawaii and they're sitting in the hotel room on a call or doing email or something. And so this idea of finding a way that you can allow your work and your life to blend together in a way that works for you. So that might mean that you spend a little bit of time in the evenings checking email or you do a little bit on the weekend. But it also is important to know that you have the ability to step away from that. Uh, You know, I think one of the things you you talked about earlier is this idea of peak performance and showing up as the best version of you, resourced and creative, even when you're stressed and even when things are difficult. And that requires rest. None of us is at our best when we're stressed because, by definition, when you are stressed, you have stress chemicals in your body, your vision narrows, you get hyper-focused on the challenge or the source of the stress. And when you're that way, you're just not as creative. You're not going to see as many possibilities because literally your vision narrows. And this is biological because if you're being chased by a bear, it doesn't matter if there's berries and fruit and all sorts of good stuff around, your your only focus is on that bear so that you don't get eaten. That same mechanism applies today in our world where if you've got your boss saying you're not doing a good job and you've got a presentation coming up you can get stressed about that and hyper-focused on it. You're not going to be seeing other opportunities. You're not going to bring the best creative part of yourself. And so knowing when that's happening, having the ability to step out of it is so important. Uh, and so when we talk about this, you know, there's, well, there's really no boundary between work and life. You know, they can, you can move seamlessly between them. Like in some ways, that's a really good thing, but in other ways it can be dangerous
1: like I just described. Well, and I'm listening to you, and I'm agreeing with you, actually. like I am an introvert. I'm a big time, I'm a highly committed introvert. I live alone. I will always live alone. I've tried being married, didn't work, not doing it again. Here's the thing. I caught myself when I first started my business, always working, always, always. There was nobody to stop me. You know, there was nobody in the house saying, mm-hmm. uh, dinner, dinner. You know, uh, let's talk. Let's chat. Let's watch a movie. Go away. I'm busy. And it got really bad when I was left to my own devices, and I was exhausted. And I don't sleep much anyway, but then I really stopped sleeping, and I started crashing. And you talk about that in the book. You know, sometimes you just need to crash. But you know, and you brought this up, you know what I I found the most by not pacing myself and not seeing okay, is this really necessary to do today? Should you relax? Should you read a book? Should you go walk the dog? I literally lost my creativity. It was like I'd been amputated Mm -hmm. at some point. It was horrible. I was working. My technology was fine. I'm a nerd. I could still, you know, work with the technology, but I had nothing new or exciting to say or do. I actually bored myself to tears. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, it's so familiar to me also, Denise, because when I worked at Apple, Apple's a big company, it's intense, it's fast-paced, I loved working there, and it was easy for me to say, well, I don't have time to do all these other things that I'm interested in, like, it's hard to exercise, it's hard to fit that in, I love being outside, going on walks, and so when I was working at Apple, dreaming of having my own business, I imagined I would be doing all those things. I get to exercise. I get to go outside and go on walks. I might read a book in the middle of the day that's educational and inspiring and helps me in my business. These are all ideas I had. Like you, six months into my starting my own business, I found myself working all the time. So, you know, I did write in my book this idea of sometimes you have to crash. And so that to me was a bit of a crash. It wasn't a, you know, crazy you know, it wasn't really crazy, it wasn't totally off the rails. But I was off the rails enough to realize that I wasn't doing any of the things that I wanted to do and I was still working hard. And the crash for me was when I had I have a coach and so when that coach held up the mirror to me and said, Hey, do you notice that you're not doing any of the things you said you wanted to do? You're in the same pattern you were in when you were working at Apple. And when you were working at Apple, Resp, you were blaming the company, the expectations, the boss, the high demands, all of those things that come with the environment. But now you're in a totally new environment and you're doing the same thing. So what really is the problem here? I was like, oh man, the problem is not my boss. The problem isn't my work. It's not the company. The problem is me. The problem is my mindset, the way I'm approaching work, my expectations and beliefs about what it takes to be successful that has me sitting at my desk all the time instead of getting up to walk around the block and tap into some creativity. So I'm totally relating with you, Denise, and I, you know, what I really have observed is that this is a pattern in so many smart, successful, ambitious people. Because what does it take when you're smart and successful and ambitious? Hard work. And it goes all the way back to school. Right? These are the people who are willing to put in the extra hours to stay up late at night, to do the homework, to do the extra credit, to really perform well. All of those habits carry into work. And they just become ingrained. And so, you know, you might be 20 years into your career, 15 years, or 30 years into your career, and you find yourself still working with that same level of intensity. And the question is, why? And I really believe that it's, it's this habit that we've built up over time which has served us very well and in many ways is a great thing, and yet can lead to this crash, this lack of creativity, maybe not sleeping well. It can have family pro It can create problems with your family. So there are a lot of ways it can go wrong.
1: Not to mention health issues. I mean, stress, of course, is the number one killer, I think, in the world. But honestly, what I found, and everything you just, you just described my life, you really did. And I didn't know when to stop. I love what I do. I really do. So for me, working is not a hardship. I mean, it's like, oh, let me go see. You. Oh, I just had an idea. But when I realized that my creativity had basically gone to, I don't know, Bora Bora and didn't seem to be coming back, I was unhappy. And that's when, because a lot of what I do is intensely creative. And it was gone, and I knew it was gone. it Scared the bejeebers out of me. So I had to stop and find people like you, who could say, Denise, back it down, take a break. You know, go do something. Look, I would shut my office deliberately. My office is in my home. I thought, I'll train myself. I'll shut that door, so I have to stop and think before I go back in there. Well, that didn't work. I just accident. I'd be going so fast to get in here to my computer, I'd actually bump my nose on my own door. That didn't work. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had to do something different, which is why I talk with people like you.
0: Well, And I think the way you say that is just brilliant. You have to do something different. And to most of us, it feels unnatural. When we're stressed, when we feel behind, when it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm not getting ideas, I need to work harder. That's, for many of us, that's our first inclination. I just need to put my nose down and crank it out. And the, the challenge for many of us is that the real answer is to go find your creativity in Bora Bora or wherever it is. To take, take time, whether it's walking the dog, spending time with your family, going for a walk, doing something that is re-energizing to you, allows you to reconnect with your creativity. But it's counterintuitive. It feels uncomfortable. And there's, for most of us, there's that little voice inside of us saying, you shouldn't be out here doing this. You should be home working. What are you doing out here? This is irresponsible. So I'm very familiar with that voice. I have it all the time. And so it becomes a question of closing the door on the voice, saying, yeah, I get it. Right? That, that mindset, that pattern of hard work, of diligence has served me well. But what's going to really serve me the best in this situation is to give myself a little time. To get grounded to get rested to get relaxed to get creative get stimulated with new ideas because they come from all over your life they don't just come when you're sitting at your desk in front of your computer they come from everywhere so give yourself that permission even when it feels uncomfortable and it's that willingness to do something different that opens the door
1: you know what i found and i've mentioned this before on my podcast i and i call these god winks you know you get these ideas it's like a download from somewhere outside of you it's maybe spirits, guided I don't know who it is. I don't ask. I just call them Godwings. The shower. When I get in the shower and I take showers hot enough to steam broccoli, it's probably dangerous <laughs> <laughs> I get in there. And I relax completely and totally. I've never actually run my hot water heater out yet, but I'm I keep trying. But I will get so many tremendous ideas that I actually had to go to Amazon and by uh, bathtub crayons. So I can scribble these amazing ideas and thoughts all over my my shower walls. That's a lot of times mm. when my creativity just says, hey, Denise, I know you're naked and you're busy, you know, trying to get clean, but we've got something to tell you. <laughs> it works. And it may just be a 15-minute break, but you've given yourself such a break. And that sense of relaxation or excitement or creativity can follow you around for quite a while after you jump out of that shower. Yeah. It's just a thought. I mean, it works all the uh, time. In fact, when I'm stuck, I head absolutely. for the shower. It may be two in the afternoon, and I head for the shower.
0: Yeah. So one of the things, you know, I, I describe my journey of uh, starting my own business and finding myself not exercising, not being outside, all things that I wanted to do. Yeah. So I decided to put exercise back in my day, and I don't do it every day, but most of the time when I do it, I do it in the afternoon, because for me, the afternoon is a slump time. You know, two, three o'clock, it's kind of like, oh, me man, too. I feel like working, That's I'm not
1: creative, me I'm too. tired. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm shutting down by then. I'll come back around, you know, yeah. maybe six o'clock in the evening, and I'm up until midnight, mm-hmm. but I'm creative at that time. It's what You have to figure out when you're, when you're working properly, and for a lot of people, it's not yeah. nine to five. Yeah.
0: No, exactly. And one of the things I discovered, very much like your shower experience, is if I go out and I go for a walk or a run or if I go do something outside, physical, take my mind off of work, give myself a break, uh, during that afternoon slump period, I also get ideas while I'm out there running. So having worked at Apple, of course, I have an Apple Watch. And I use Siri to remind myself of these ideas. I don't have crayons or whatever, you know, that's my version of the waterproof crayons that I could use, like you use in your shower. I put up all these notes on my, using Siri to put them all on my watch. And when I get home, I've got all these ideas that I can use. And so I found that even though it's a slump time and if I were sitting at my desk, I would be doom scrolling on something, really not productively. If I give myself a break, stand up, go outside, do something that's fun and energizing and gets my energy moving exercising or running or walking then come with what comes with that is the creativity and so you know back to your point pay attention where do your ideas come from do they come when you're walking the dog do they come when you're in the shower do they come when you wake up in the middle of the night and you get a great idea put a pad next to your bed i've got that too so you know paying attention and then tapping into it because And this is the idea of the work-life harmony, right? It's like your brain doesn't just shut off, and it doesn't have to be disruptive to you, but you can capture those ideas, and then when you sit down to do your work, you can leverage them.
1: See, I have a pad next to my bed as well, because what I do, I don't sleep well. Everybody knows this. I catnap. I don't sleep all night. If I do, I'm probably sick and need an ambulance. But what I do when I know that I'm just about to actually fall asleep I will turn it over to my subconscious for review whatever bothered me or whatever question I have or do I need you know some creativity and I will literally say it out loud kind of like you do with your prayers turn it over to my subconscious for review and I promise you 318 every morning it pops up you know it's almost like a thought bubble in my head I wake up enough to grab my pad write it down and hopefully go back to sleep pay attention is what we're saying here
0: yeah Pay attention and be willing to do something that's a little uncomfortable. Um, You know, that's to stop work and go outside for a walk or a run in the middle of the afternoon. Absolutely. Or that's to wake up at three eighteen and be willing to grab the pen because I know there's plenty of nights I'm like, oh, I don't want to even sit up enough to write this down. (laughs) So, you know, you've got to be willing to do something a little uncomfortable in order to take advantage of this and to capture the ideas.
1: Well, and it's, I mean, as hardworking corporate type of people or business people, I had to really start paying attention to, I'm going to call them Godwinks, I don't have a better term for it, when something outside of myself says, hey, Denise, they're like pointing an arrow at you, say, pay attention, okay, 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 quit nagging. And honestly, I get nagged at every once in a while. But when I start paying attention to those, I'm like, ah, how did I not know this? But it's part of that yeah. early training. We're not trained to do that. We're trained to go, 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 work, 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 produce, produce, produce. It's exhausting and it's not natural. I don't care what anybody says. That is not natural behavior.
0: Yeah. When you talk about Godwinks, the word that comes to mind for me is intuition. Uh, and...
1: Exactly. The other thing
0: we're not trained to do is listen to that intuition or our Godwinks because it's not rational, it's not logical, and we're trained to ha- be able to justify and back up all of our decisions and all of our arguments with data, with good rationality, and so on. And sometimes those God winks or intuition are not rational, but they point you exactly in the right direction.
1: Yeah. Intuition is something that I strongly pay attention to in my life. I always have. So we... um summing through your book, we're. Ta- I really want, before we get too far down the rabbit hole because I keep interrupting you and I'm sorry, I wanted you to talk about the code, you know, your inner tech. Let's talk about that because I think yes. that's an important part of what you're sharing in this book.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, I, I talk about your inner tech and I, I think you introduced it very well at the beginning of the show. Your inner tech is really very similar to the technology that you use every day. So I make the comparison to your cell phone, right? We all have a smartphone, and there's kind of three parts of the technology that make a cell phone work. There's the device. There's the hardware, which is the physical phone itself. There's an operating system, and then there's apps. And what we really care about when we go to use a phone is the apps. I want to be able to use the camera, I want to be able to make phone calls, I want to be able to check Instagram, whatever it is. But it's, it's the apps that are really that value add of the phone. So that's our technology that we use day to day. Then you think about your inner technology. And your inner technology is like there's a parallel. Like you are the device, right, your, your physical being. The apps are all the things you want in your life, a good job, financial security good relationships interesting hobbies good health it's like you want to put all of these apps on your phone or on into your life and then you have an operating system most of us don't really think about our operating system but our operating system is really what determines what apps are compatible with you and your life just like on your phone right if you try to put in certain apps on it's like no you don't have the right operating system for this you can't install it or if you put an app in and the app, the operating system pops up in the middle and says, oh, you want to access the camera? Well, you need to give permission to access the camera. The app just doesn't automatically get that or to access your calendar or your contacts. So the operating system really plays this role of giving permission. Your phone has all this amazing capability, but the apps can only use it if the operating system gives it permission. And that same thing is true for us. We have amazing capabilities to do all sorts of things. And you may want to put an app in that says, I want to double my salary. Or you may want to put an app in that says, I want to be in a relationship with the love of my life. And if your operating system doesn't give you permission to have that, it just gets rejected. So what does that mean to give you permission to have it? So let's take a simple example of your salary. Let's just, for the sake of argument and brown numbers, let's say you make $100,000 a year. And if I, go to, if I went to most people and I said, hey, would you like to earn more money? Almost everybody would say yes. So how much more would you like to live, earn? Okay, well, if you're making 100000 maybe $110,000 or 120000 yeah, that sounds good. But at some point, as you start increasing that number, what about 150000 What about 200000 What about 400000 At some point for all of us, we reach a level where we say, oh, I can't really see myself making that much money. Like, I, I don't know what I would be doing. It's just it's hard to imagine that I am worth X, whatever X is, 150, 250, 500,000, 75,000. We all have some point at which we start to get uncomfortable around our value. And that is an example of if you try to put an app in that said, I'm going to say for me the number is $200,000. And i'm I'm uncomfortable with that, and if I try to put an app in that says i'm earning two hundred and two hundred thousand dollars, I go out and apply for a job like that i'm going to be uncomfortable I, like I'm not going to be okay with it. There's a part of me that rejects that app. My operating system says, nope, that's not who you are, Rusty. You're not the kind of person who has a two hundred thousand dollars job that so i'm using I'm using salary as a simple example, but that exact same thing applies to your health. You're not the kind of person who exercises every day and has good, rigorous health. You're not the kind of person who eats well. You're not the kind of person who has quality relationships. All of your relationships end in flames and heartbreak. So we have these stories about ourselves, these beliefs about ourselves. That's our operating system. And you'll never be able to outperform what your operating system allows. And so this idea of your inner tech and your code, it's almost like you've been programmed. And you know, for those of who aren't familiar, for those listeners who aren't familiar, your code is the programming in the technology world. That is your code. So it's like you were programmed to say, this is as good as it can be for you. Uh, The beauty is we can change that, but you have to break the code. And so that's the premise of the book. And that's this idea that you're never going to get, you're never going to exceed your expectation of what you think is possible for you. That's your code, your programming, it's in your operating system, and your opportunity is to break the code so that you can and achieve. A whole different degree of success beyond what you have imagined
1: and being a nerd I fully understand that code is rewritten every day it has to be mm-hmm. it has to be updated it has to be rewritten sometimes it has to be completely deleted and in your book page 34 it, you're, it's, you know I was in the same chapter and I was talk I was reading along with you basically because you just described the chapter but at the end of it, you say, all results in your life come from your code. And look, I believe that. I am such a nerd. I'm known as a nerd in stilettos. I think in code. I dream in code. I've come across people who, as far as I'm concerned, they have bad code. I avoid those people. But, we, yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about. It makes perfect sense to me.
0: Yeah, and so one of the ways to... to understand a little bit about your code is to look at your life and to look at the patterns in your life. You know, so I said earlier, like, well, gosh, if you're the kind of person who says all my relationships end badly, then in conflict and tears and disappointment, that is a reflection of your code or your operating system. So if you want to know what your code is, what your beliefs are about how good life can be for you, look at your life and assess how good is it for you. All those areas where you feel like you're struggling that is an area, that is a reflection of your belief about that area of your life.
1: And you go further to say if this upgrade process, and I've skipped up forward a little bit, but if the upgrade process were easy, you would have done it already, been there, done that. But it does take a It does take, you know, paying attention and making a strong decision to upgrade your code or change your code or, you know, I talk a lot in this podcast about podcast um, not podcasting obviously imposter syndrome we're all guilty of it it's afflicted everybody that I know and to some degree I think that's what we're talking about well, you know I would like to have a hundred and fifty thousand dollar salary but uh, I just I don't think I'm worth it that's imposter syndrome and you just shot yourself in the of foot. so yeah. stop it yeah it's <laughs> what you're saying knock it off exactly well,
0: but it's not that easy, right? Yes, stop it, and no, knock it off. Not. But it's not that easy. Yeah. And I think that's the point. Um, you know, even even like you said, to when you were in this place of working all the time and you had lost your creativity, it required doing something different. And anytime you're doing something different, it's uncomfortable. And so it requires being willing to tolerate that discomfort in the interest of growing and learning something new. So, you know, I, thought, I love that you brought up imposter syndrome. Uh, everybody has it, of course. The flip side of that is authenticity, right? And everybody wants to be authentic, right? Everyone says, well, I want to be true to who I am, which is great. But many of us think about authenticity based on who we've been rather than who we're becoming. So we think about authenticity as like, well, I want to be true to myself. And who, how do you define yourself? You define yourself backward-looking based on your past, Well, if I've only ever earned $100,000, I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to earn $100,000. But you may have a desire to make $150,000. Well, you can learn to be authentic to a different version of you, to the person who's earning more money or the person who has better relationships.
1: Right. And I like what you said. I mean, that really kind of grabbed my heart. That If we're looking at authenticity in ourselves, we only have the past to look at. So we need to move away from that because, look, we all have things in our past that we're like, ooh, oh, crap. <laughs> we all do. I mean, yeah. it's just that's part of being life. And we have other parts of our life like, oh, I would love to revisit that and do that kind of thing again. But spending time, this is my attitude about spending too much time in the past. You're digging around in a dusty attic and you're just going to start sneezing. There's really not much there for you. Move forward.
0: That's funny. I love that analogy. Um, so, I'll share a little story about how do you how do you deal with something from the past. When I worked at Apple, uh, I was the I was the director of finance, and I was leading the sales forecast globally for Apple products. So, I was leading the team responsible for saying how much are we going to sell iPads, iPhones, that kind of thing. One of the things we were doing as a part of that was revamping our process and putting a new tool in place and they said hey we're you know we're doing a lot of this kind of manually we want to have a better tool for generating this forecast so we launched a project we spent over a year working on this tool and i was leading this project right before the project was about to go live um, there was a, There was a little bit of change in the management. a new person came in, uh, a new uh, anyway there was a few things that changed, but right before it went live, my boss came to me and he said, "You know what we just don't have the support we need to go to launch this thing right there's, there's enough conflict there's enough disagreement around whether this will work and whether it's the right thing we're going to cancel the project And this was weeks before we were about to go live after a year of effort and you know leading this project around the globe, it was crushing. It was really, really difficult decision to have to swallow. And from my standpoint, it felt like a massive failure, like this project that I'm responsible for. I am leading. My name's all over it. And it got canceled by my boss. I didn't want to talk about that for years. I didn't want to think about it for years. Every time I thought about it, I had a negative thought about it. Oh, my gosh, I, just, I can't believe I failed. That just feels terrible. And so I avoided it for many years. It wasn't until I left Apple and I became a coach that I realized this was going on. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, I keep avoiding this thing. Every time I think of it, I, don't, I avoid it. I have got a negative feeling. Like, how do, what do I do with this experience so that it's not a weight on me, that it's not this, uh, you know, panic button that every time I get close to it, I'm like, oh, don't touch the button, don't touch the button, and I run away. Like, I don't want those kind of panic buttons in my life. I don't want to carry around this weight in my life. So what do I do with this situation from my past so that it's not a weight? And so what I did with that is I went through and I said, okay, sure. There were some painful parts. It was, you know, unfortunate. It felt like a failure. All of that's true. And there must be something that I learned from that experience. I must have come out of it with some kind of piece of knowledge and information. What, what can I harvest from this? And I set about, set about, Find what it is that I learned from that experience. It was not immediately apparent, I'll tell you. It took me a little while of searching to figure out what the what I learned from this was that I was focused on the wrong thing in this project. So I'm gonna go this ties back to what we were talking about before. For people who are naturally hardworking, their inclination is when things get difficult in work, when things get stressful, work harder. That was my mindset. And what I, the way I was working harder is I was working harder on the stuff that I'm good at, which is making sure we had a good technical solution to our problem. So things were difficult. We didn't. The technology wasn't exactly where it needed to be. I rolled up my sleeves. I got the technology where it needed to be. I was successful in doing that, spending all of my time and energy, focusing on the technology. I neglected to spend time and energy on the relationships, on the buy-in, on the support, from the global community to make sure that this project would be supported when it went live. And so what I found, and the reasons of my learning from this whole process, which I was able to discover many years later, was, oh, I was just focused on the wrong thing. I was focused on the things that I'm good at, the things that I naturally tend to when things get hard. But what I needed to be focused on was the stuff that's uncomfortable to me, the things where I feel less qualified. I don't feel as confident in my abilities. But those were the things that really mattered, and those are the things that ultimately caused the project to fail. So I got a learning from this, and I was like, oh, and I see this in other people too, right, just what we were talking about earlier. Things aren't going well. What is your answer? Work harder. Well, that's always been my answer, but maybe that's not the right thing. Maybe you're focusing on what you've always focused on, and you're neglecting the thing that really makes a difference. So I harvested something out of this past experience in my life. So I'm sharing that story. It's a little bit of a long story, but I want to share it for the listeners who are out there who have that same thing that I had, which is this experience in life that you want to avoid, that you don't want to talk about because it's painful and difficult. Spend the time to go look and find what are the gold nuggets in there because there are always learnings. There's always something you can take away from those experiences. Go find them. And that's going to turn this thing from a difficult experience, one that you avoid and one that feels heavy in your life, to something that you can find value in. You may not want to talk about it, but you can talk about it more easily because you've learned from it. You've grown and are a different and a better person as a result. So that is a way that you can change something that's negative from your past into something more positive.
1: I'm so glad you shared that. That's an amazing story. And when you started talking about that, I was thinking about some things that I'm not particularly excited about or proud of. And I flinched. I literally physically flinched when I was listening to you and went, okay, that needs work. So I wrote them down, all two of them. <laughs> Good. I, you know, well, there's more. Yeah, them, well, but there's the two that made me go, oh, geez. You know?
0: Well, the, the truth is, Denise, we all have those. Like Everybody listening has some of those experiences in their life. Uh, So it's not, it doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. That's just being human, as you said earlier. The question is, what do you do with that? Do you just avoid it and sweep it under the rug and say, well, it's a dark part of my past. I'm never going to talk about it. Or do you find a way to turn it into something valuable? I'll I'll share just another brief anecdote with you, which is um, I was, you know, one of the things that I enjoy doing is going to conferences and workshops and, and learning from other people. And this was pre-pandemic and I was at a, at a conference and it was full of people and we had partnered up with the person sitting next to you who I didn't know and you're sitting there face-to-face with a stranger and waiting for instructions from the person up on stage. And the person on stage says, all right, I've got a challenge for you. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you, turn to your partner, and I want you to share with them something that you've never shared with anyone before. And you could feel the anxiety ripple through the room. Everyone was like, whoa, my goodness, it's like, Crazy that they want us to do this, and then the, it was only about a second or two seconds, and the person up on the front said, "Ah, I'm just kidding. That's not what we're doing. We're doing something else." But in that one or two seconds, there was just this wave of panic, which is such an indication of, "Oh yes, everybody's got that thing. Everyone has mm-hmm. it."
1: And yeah,
0: exactly. my experience in that moment was, "Oh, you know what?" I've been working so much on this, clearing out all of these things, finding these things I don't want to talk about, and finding a way to reprocess them and talk about them and share them with the right people, that I didn't have that wave of panic. And my first thought was, I'm not sure there's anything left. I think I've cleared out that dusty attic. Uh, And that felt really nice. So. I don't believe in going rummaging through the past to retell the same story and stir up the dust and all of that. I mean, that's, you know, that's crazy because, as you said, all you do is sneeze. But if there's a way that you can do it, that you can learn something from it, that you can actually clean it out, and then share that learning with someone, just as I did right now. I just shared this story about this failure, this project I led at Apple. If you had talked to me five years ago, there's no way I would have talked about that because I hadn't gone through my process to learn from it. Now I have, and I'm okay talking about it.
1: I have to ask you, and I'm so glad you did, I have to ask you, is this one of the things that, you know, this particular project and and your thoughts about it, your feelings about it, is this what eventually prompted you to to become a coach? One of the things that prompted you? Uh,
0: It's not, no, not that specific project, no. Um, It's the, for me, the, the. evolution of becoming a coach had both personal and professional elements to it. The professional element was just enjoying working with people. I always liked being a manager and, and coaching people and supporting them. So I liked that professionally. On the personal side, uh, I got divorced about eight or nine years ago, and that was an incredibly difficult personal process. Um, you know, much like I described this project at, at work as a failure, I felt like a failure for my marriage falling apart. Um, that was you know, never one of the things I expected to happen in my life. Uh, we talked earlier about sometimes you have to crash, and that felt like a crash to me, um, having to confront that and navigate it. And then it was a very difficult process. but highly contentious, and we ended up in court and all sorts of difficulties. Um, and in navigating that, I had to figure out how to get support to get through that time because I grew up in a kind of family where we didn't talk about challenges, we didn't talk about feelings, we were just a pick-up-and-go kind of family, which served me really well for a long time. But it wasn't working to get through this time when I was getting divorced, and I needed something different, so I had to learn how to rely on other people and talk to other people and change my perspective about things. And so it was that experience of really finding the value in being able to talk honestly with someone else about the challenges and the fears and the opportunities in my life, I, that just was transformative for me. And I saw the, also the transformative, transformative effect in others. And that became this idea as, that ultimately came to me. It's like, well, I like it at work. I like it on the personal level. What if this became my job to actually be that person on the other side of the table with, with others to support them in talking through, to find, What are their challenges? What are their fears? How do they work through those to bring the best of themselves to the table? And working through the fear, whether that's changing a story about a past failure, like my project I described, or learning how to take care of yourself and take a break in the middle of the day so that you can be creative and bring more of the best of yourself to work. I just I got inspired by that idea and have been inspired by working with people and the forth and that. So that's really it's this combination for me of becoming a coach came from both my professional experience but also heavily on the on the personal side.
1: Okay. I, wow, that that is amazing. And listen, as an introvert, a highly committed introvert, it took me the longest kind of time to realize that I could talk with other people. I could listen to other people I didn't have to just hug myself all the time and say it's going to be okay Denise it's not okay so I had to find a way to come out of my very busy head to start talking and chatting and taking comfort from other people that was not easy I'm going to tell you right now that was not easy for me but yeah. I've done it and I'm a much better person for me but it took a long time
0: I, I, that's, that's my story too Denise um, it's you know, growing up in this, in this family where we just didn't talk about it. <clears throat> it's like, what, what do you mean? I'm upset. I don't feel upset. That's just how I am. <laughs> I, I just, and like, even my vocabulary was very limited. I didn't know how to talk about feelings or any of that. And so, and, and every time I sat down to have a conversation with someone, it scared me. Yeah. So it became a question, again, am I willing to be scared? Am I willing to tolerate that and do it anyway? Because I know it's moving me forward towards what I want in my life. And that, you know, I, I talk about courage as one of the quintessential and most important characteristics of a good leader because you have to be willing to do the stuff that makes you uncomfortable because it's, you know it's right.
1: It's difficult. It's it's not easy. It, in fact, I remember because I, even as a child, I have grew up in a family, a fairly large family of loud, boisterous people I was always the one with my nose in a book trying to get the heck away from them. And I'm still doing it. But they knew that I wasn't a talker. I didn't want to be talked at. Just leave me alone. And as I grew up, hang on, I need to cough. I'm sorry. I'm losing my voice a little bit. But as I grew up and I said, you know, this is who I am. This, I'm going to be an introvert, a happy introvert. I'm not shy. I don't have any filters at all. You've probably figured that out. And I enjoy being around people for about 59 and three-quarter minutes, but that's it. I've got to go. I mean, when you were talking about what yeah. the guy was saying, you know, turn to the partner next to you, and, you know, and I, all I could think was the last time I was at a church, I said, turn to the, the person next to you and shake their hand. I couldn't get out of that pew quick enough. Don't touch me. No touching. I didn't like it at all. But I've had to outgrow a lot of those, and I'm not going to call them failures, but protection devices, you know protect myself sure. from anything and everything and it wasn't doing me any good and i was reading your book yesterday and, and this just came back to me what you were talking about just now in one of the chapters you talk it's point number one you said seek failure and if mm-hmm. i try and fail i might lose the good life i had that goes back to what i was asking you about how did you walk away from apple to coaching i mean I would have been scared. Well, I did this. I walked away from owning a business and shutting it down, 2008, when everything went. Look, in Louisiana, there were bumper stickers that said, Last person out of the state, turn off the lights. It was bad. And I had to close my business down. Mm -hmm. I went back to school. I got a computer science degree. But I also knew that I did not want to work around other people. It's just not where my my sweet spot is. I was scared to death because I needed to make money. I needed to support my household, but I wasn't going to go do what I hated doing. So, you know, you have to go ahead and look at failure and go, I'm not going to fail. I can do this. And it sounds like that's what you did. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things you said in there is, you know, change is hard and it's true. Uh, And it's easy to hear that and use that as a reason not to do it. Say, well, it's hard and, you know, I'm not sure it's going to work for me and so I'm not going to do it. And that's why I want to come back to courage because courage does not mean you think it's easy. That's not what courage is. Courage means you think it's hard and you do it anyway. And that's why I think having courage is a willingness to go do these things. is so important. When I was leaving Apple to start my own business, I was very afraid. I had always worked at big companies. I worked at General Electric. I worked at PG&E, which is the utility here in San Francisco. I worked at Apple. These are all massive, massive companies with tens of thousands of people in them. That had been my entire working life. And I'm contemplating leaving that to start my own business, working by myself. Like, that terrified me. I've always had a paycheck. I've always had benefits. I've had insurance. I'm like, what am I gonna do working for myself? So there was a part of me that was absolutely terrified. And there was a part of me that knew I would regret it if I didn't do it. And so the question always is, which part of you are you going to go with? Are you going to allow to make that decision? Because in any of these situations that we're talking about, there is always you a know, part of you, which is kind of your 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 code or your operating system which says yeah this is probably not a good idea you should play it safe you've never done this before it may not work out you may fail we all have that part of us and there's another part of you that's inspired that says i actually believe so whether it's a god wink or your intuition or your gut but there's a part of you that says i know this is what's the right thing to do in this situation and so the courage comes in is being willing to say, I'm not going to listen to that part of me that's putting the brakes on, and I'm going to move forward anyway. Uh, so one of the ways I was able to do that when it came to Leaning Apple, and this is something that I work, I, it's a tool that I use, my, I give, share with my clients, and I'll, I'll share it now, is, is to imagine yourself on the other side of the decision. Imagine yourself, whether it's a, years in the future or months in the future, but imagine yourself already having been through that point in life and made the decision and from that future perspective you get hindsight and everybody says hindsight is twenty-twenty. so with that benefit of hindsight ask yourself what would have been the better decision for you so for me in this question of leaving apple i imagine myself at 80 years old sitting in a rocking chair on a balcony somewhere or on a porch somewhere uh just you know reflecting on my life enjoying the day watching things pass by And from that perspective where I'm comfortable and life is good and, you know, I've made it to that point, I asked myself, boy, back when I was deciding to leave Apple, what was the right choice? Is it the right choice to play it safe and stay at Apple and keep doing what I'm doing or is the right choice to take a risk, to risk failure, and to go off and start my own business? And it was so clear to me from that perspective, that 80-year-old version of me sitting on the porch in the rocking chair, go take a risk. Even if you fail, even if you fall on your face, if you have to go back knocking on the door at Apple to get another job and go back to work there, it will have been a good experience. Mm-hmm. You will have learned from it. You will have grown from it. You will have tried something that you want to do that you care about. So do it. And so exactly. I offer that hindsight tool to anytime you're facing that, a decision like that.
1: It's so interesting you bring up the rocking chair. I've always said that my goal in life is to grow up to be a really elderly lady sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair with a shotgun and a cat yelling, get off the grass. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. That's my whole goal in life. Yeah, really. But, but <laughs> one of the, you were talking about, you know, is it more dangerous? I don't think that was the right word, but is it more dangerous to stay in a job that you're not really all that invested in anymore or go out on your own? And the thing is, these days, to me, it's almost more dangerous to stay in a job because you have no control. People are being fired. They're being left, left um, let go. There's a lot going on in corporate and small businesses. I don't know about you, but I don't want to depend, for, depend on HR or a boss to tell me what to do or how to do it or how long I get to do it. I need to make those decisions on my own.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I won't pretend to say that I know what's right for anybody else. Uh, you know, some people right. absolutely go out on your own. Some people are going to be happier in a big company, and that's great. But don't make a decision out of fear. I think that's that's what I'm coming to, right? And that's just the idea of, you know, some things are difficult, and we have fears, and there's the reality of life, right? There's bills to pay, there's insurance, the family you may be concerned about, and you have to care for. All of that is true, and... You don't want to live your life from a place of fear. Uh, you, you can be your best self. You can speak your truth. You can listen to those God wings. You can listen to your intuition. You can follow your inspiration. When you've got a creative idea, you don't have to squash it and say, no, I can't do that. It's too risky. You can, you can try it. And it doesn't have to even happen all at once. And I, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you just even for me leaving Apple to start my own business, it's not like I got the idea and the next day I walked into my boss's office and quit. It didn't happen overnight, right? Most of us think, oh, I could never do that. It's too big of a change. Well, it's happened step by step. I got the idea to become a coach. And I said, oh, that's cool. Let me go investigate that. Let me find out where could I learn about becoming a coach. So I found some places I could learn. Oh, where could I get trained? I found a place to get trained. I signed up to get the training. I went to the training. I went to an in-person workshop. I started doing some work and got my first client. All of that happened before I walked into my boss's office and said, I'm going to leave Apple. So I share that because it's important to recognize that most of us, when we think about making a change in life, whether it's changing jobs or going out on your own, whatever it is, it feels like this big thing. And you look at this big step, the final step to quit your job or to make a big change. And you say, oh, I could never do that. It's too big. But there's always a step you can take that moves you towards that direction. And as you move down that path, you get more and more clarity and it becomes more clear is this the right path or not? And if it's the right path, the steps become you're taking little steps. It doesn't have to be these huge steps.
1: Exactly. I saw a, a meme on Facebook today that I mean it's a perfect example of what you're talking about. There's two ladders. It's a little cartoon meme. And uh, two ladders, you know, one with with all the, the steps in the proper space, you know, you go up six inches, you go up another six inches, whatever it is, small steps the other ladder next to it was somebody was taking way too many big steps and they couldn't even reach that top long rung because they hadn't taken the smaller steps to start it so i understand yeah you know, i truly get what you're talking about here so we've got oh we've only got a few minutes you um and i was talking about this and when i introduced you you you're now working as an executive coach for tech leaders and this I thought was really important, I outlined it, who want more success without sacrifice. Let's talk about that sentence. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Well, so there's two parts of that, the success and the sacrifice. First of all, in success, many people have a very narrow definition of success. And in our culture and society, success often is defined based on your position, your salary, you know, your car, your house, that kind of thing. And I encourage people always to cast a wider net. If you're thinking about success, what is success in the holistic view of your life? Back to the rocking chair, right? When you're sitting there with a on your but in the rocking chair with your
1: shotgun and your cat, thinking about your life. I'm not joking by the way. about the maybe about the shotgun, <laughs> but not the rest of. it. And I might even have a little bottle of rubbing alcohol next to me to fool the neighbors. I don't know. It's still it's evolving still. <laughs>
0: Oh, I look forward to, to connecting with you again when that's happening to me. Um, but, you know, think about success from that perspective. Like, what will have made a good life? Uh, it's not all about the big house and the big car. It's about the family and the quality time that you spend with your friends and your community. And it's about your health. Like, all of these things matter. It's about enjoying what you do, having a sense of purpose and meaning in your work. So think about success from the broadest standpoint. And so that's the first part, right? How do you create success? First of all, you have to really know what success looks like for you. So develop that picture. Design it. Figure out what is success for you. And then the second part is, is about sacrifice. And most of us, again, back to what we've, what we've kind of been a thread through our conversation today, Denise, is this idea of you following your old habits and patterns, following your code, your programming, how you were brought up, these beliefs you have about what it takes to be successful. So many smart, ambitious people believe success comes with sacrifice. The way I'm successful is I neglect everything else, my family, my work, my health, everything, and I just nose the grindstone and crank it out. But as we've been talking about, that is not the best path to success because you may be putting in the most effort, but you may not be having the most impact because you're not tapping into the best of yourself. You're not creative. You might be risk-averse because you're saying, well, I'm working so hard, I have to protect everything I'm doing. I can't bring forward this Godwink idea, this intuitive idea that I have that's a little bit different perspective, but really could shake things up and help advance the company. Or I can't make a decision based on intuition or imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough to do this. I don't have that experience yet. There's all these different ways in which we can undermine ourselves, as, especially as smart, successful people. I think those people like We have these habits of what it means to be smart and and successful, and we keep falling back on them, and those are the things that hold us back, and they lead to sacrifice. So it's by getting rid of those. It's not about doing more work. It's not about adding more. It's about doing less. And when you can make that shift from doing more to doing less and giving yourself the real ability to be creative and bring the best of yourself, you'll get more done. You'll be more confident. You'll be more decisive. You'll get along better with your team. They'll be more empowered and engaged overall your impact goes up and it happens in this kind of counterintuitive surprising way that actually feels easier
1: and see i love that you said the word impact because listen if we're too busy and we're constantly in my case i've got my nose up against my monitor i practically live in this room and the kitchen i love to cook so there's two things that they're both very creative and i do both of them but the thing is it doesn't you don't have a positive impact on those who are in your your near proximity, husband, children, because you're not paying attention to them. You're just not. And the impact that you are giving them is probably not what you think it is.
0: Yeah, and, and I will say that, that that goes both ways because not only are those relationships may not be um, as solid and as strong as they could be, but when they're solid and strong, you are gonna be more effective at work. And that's the part that most people don't understand is, well, but in order to be effective, I just have to work harder. No, it's, it's like you described earlier, the time in the shower is your most creative time. Or for me, going out for a run. And uh, some other people, it's like sitting down and playing with their kids. That's when the, your brain relaxes, you relax. And all of a sudden, when you're relaxed, you can be creative because when you're stressed, as I was describing earlier, you're not creative. You're focused on the task at hand.
1: That's fight or flight at that point.
0: It is. And, And the surprising part is that when you are relaxed, you're investing in the things that are good for others and for you, it makes you more effective at work.
1: It does. Rusty, we are out of time. Remember I told you this is the quickest hour on the Internet. It has been fascinating talking with you, and I've been scribbling notes all over the place. Before I let you go, do you have anything else you want to share with the audience?
0: I, I just want to tie, tie back to this idea of uh, courage and community. Courage to invest in yourself and do the thing that might feel uncomfortable but that you know moves you forward, and community, because you know this, this kind of thing is very difficult to do on your own. Uh, having a partner, having a community, other people to work with is very important.
1: It is, and I will tell you, and I'll tell the audience, I found that way later than I should have you know I walk around thinking oh Denise you're so smart you're so cute look at you you're an idiot sometimes but look at you I, I took me the longest kind of time to figure out that I needed to let other people in and learn from them and honestly I'm going to tell you right now this podcast has been one of the smartest things I've ever done I've been doing this for 15 years mm. I've say i got hundreds of books I consider y'all my guests to be my mentors I learn so much from you And I meet people all over the world that I wouldn't meet in my local Walmart, obviously. But this is how I connect, and this is how I network, and this is how I learn. And I thank each and every one of you and the audience as well, because this is how you network. This is how you find your community in my world. Absolutely.
0: Uh, so, yeah, for all of you listeners out there, find your community. And, I, you know, you and I have been in the same boat, Denise, where we were both reluctant to share anything personal or talk to people. And uh, We've been there, and we've both found the value of finding a way to have a conversation, a real conversation, and uh, it, can, it can unlock the next level of success.
1: This is true. And I live in the Deep South, and here you're not allowed to not talk to people. You just can't. You go into the grocery store, they're, hey, how are you? I don't know you. That doesn't fly. They're going to talk to you. See, might as well just get used to it. Rusty, thank you so much. <laughs> Where can people find you again before I let you go? Uh,
0: best place to find me is on LinkedIn or on my website. So Com, and it's G-A-I-L-L-A-R-D, RustyGaylord.com.
1: Got it. Rusty, thank you so much. It has been delightful speaking with you, and thank you for the book and all of the really terrific tips and advice that you've shared with the audience. How long have you been coaching? I've been meaning to ask you, and I just don't get to it.
0: It's been about four years.
1: Good for you. Congratulations. Well, listen, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us. Go into iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Honestly, anywhere you consume your business podcast, the truth is you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So find us, listen to us, take us along on your success journey, and go look for Rusty. He's got a wonderful, I've I, I just lost my words, he's got so much information to share with you. And look for the book, Breaking the Code. Stop looking for answers and start enjoying life. Rusty, thank you so much.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Denise. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.